Our sermon text this morning is Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 14. I'll read those verses for us and then pray once more. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Please join me once more in prayer. Father, we need your help as we come to your word. We pray, please, that the Holy Spirit who inspired this text would come and incline our hearts to your word. Lord, would you empower me as I preach? Would you hide me, hide me behind the text and behind your son Jesus? Would you lift him up in our eyes? Would you give us ears to hear? Would you glorify your name in our midst this morning and do us much good as we receive your word? Do these things, we pray, for our joy and your glory through Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, Christmas time is widely regarded as a season of joy. But if you happen to struggle with certain rare phobias, Christmas time can get really scary. So, for example, if you struggle with cellophobia or the fear of flashing lights, then Christmas decorations are quite literally your worst nightmare. If you struggle with philemophobia, the fear of kissing, or with cisanophobia, which is specifically the fear of kissing under mistletoe, or with duronophobia, the fear of gifts, or chionophobia, the fear of snow, or even with phaophobia, which is the fear of elves then the holiday season can become quite terrifying. Perish the thought that your extended family would get together if you struggle with a severe case of avuncrophobia, which is the fear of one's uncle. Well, whether or not you struggle with any of these phobias, you might be surprised to learn that Christmas or at least the story of Christmas as it's told in the Gospel of Luke, has everything to do with our fears. This morning we are zooming in on the moment in the Christmas story when an angel of the Lord appears to a group of shepherds to announce that Christ has been born. And Luke's account of this moment, of this scary encounter between heaven and earth, speaks to the fears that live deep in our hearts. 
So this morning, I just want us to walk through Luke 2, 8 to 14 together. Uh, And along the way, we'll ask two questions uh, in order to see how this text addresses our fears. We'll walk through the text, and I'll mention those two questions along the way. So before we dive into the drama of the text, we need to meet the characters. Uh, Look with me there at verse 8, the first verse of the passage. Luke tells us there that in the same region that is nearby Bethlehem, where Jesus has just been born, there were shepherds out in the field. You may remember that two weeks ago, as I heard on the podcast, David Chung, in his exposition of Psalm 23, mentioned that the Bible presents kind of a paradoxical picture of shepherds. On the one hand, uh, the Bible associates shepherds with kings. Uh, David mentioned that in the ancient Near East, kings like the famous Hammurabi uh, described themselves as shepherds of their people. Uh, Jacob, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, spent time as a shepherd. Moses, not quite a king, but a renowned leader of God's people, was at one point a shepherd. King David, of course, was a shepherd. And of course, God himself, the king of Israel, describes himself as the shepherd of his people. So the shepherd, on one hand, is a symbol of leadership and authority, even royalty. But on the other hand, it's, it's clear that literally doing the job of a shepherd was pretty lowly work. In verse 8, Luke tells us these shepherds were out in the field. Uh, The word that Luke uses that gets translated out in the field suggests that these shepherds are living out in the field. These guys have made their home in the elements. Uh, They're sleeping next to smelly animals. Our shift finds them working a night shift before the invention of coffee. It's noteworthy that in God's wisdom then... Shepherds are the first to hear about Jesus' birth. Insofar as shepherds are figural of kings, Jesus is the lamb to whom the shepherds bow. He's the king of the kings, the shepherd of the shepherds. But insofar as shepherds are also representatives of the lowly, we see here that the good news of Jesus is for the lowly. So friend, listen, whether you are a shepherd, whether you have an exalted place in society with authority over lots of people, or a shepherd with a lowly place, the Christ of this passage is for you. Well, those are the shepherds. What are they doing? Well, Luke tells us that these shepherds are watching over their flocks by night. So just imagine it with me. You're out in some field at night, uh, before the invention of electric lighting. You don't even have an iPhone flashlight. It's dark. You smell sheep. You probably smell like sheep. It's probably very quiet. Another ordinary night on a not very glamorous job. And then suddenly, Luke says, an angel of the Lord appears, and the glory of the Lord shines around these night shift shepherds. We read that and we think, yes, that's exactly what's supposed to happen. Verse 9, cue angel, ready the choir, right? We know the Christmas story. But imagine the shock 
you would have felt if you were one of these shepherds. You think it's a regular night on the job, and all of the sudden, in the middle of the night, and in the middle of nowhere, there's someone glowing who isn't one of your shepherd buddies. Light explodes in the darkness. Your pupils contract. Your adrenaline spikes. You enter full fight or flight mode. And your heart races as you wonder, what does this otherworldly messenger want with us? Luke concludes verse 9 with a comment that he might have left off. He ends verse 9 by saying, And they were filled with great fear. Well, here's the first question we need to consider this morning. Why are these shepherds afraid? Why are these shepherds afraid? Well, on one level, it's very obvious why they're afraid. Because they've been startled by something unexpected and inexplicable. Right? Something wildly outside their experience and clearly outside their control has burst onto the scene. They're suddenly at the mercy of a shiny supernatural party crasher. That's why they're scared. Uh, But I think if we read Luke chapters 1 and 2 carefully, uh, there's something of a deeper answer uh, to that question of why these shepherds are afraid. Uh, There's a fear beneath the fear, I think. See, one of the things that's going on in the first two chapters of Luke is that heaven is moving toward earth. Or to put it another way, God is moving toward mankind. As we've seen over the past few weeks, Luke 1 and 2 record the births of John the Baptist and then of Jesus. And as these babies are born, the God of heaven tells us repeatedly that he is beginning a new work on earth. That's what we've seen together in Mary's song and Zechariah's song and what we'll see, Lord willing, in the angel's song in verses 13 and 14. When God's Holy Spirit fills Mary after the announcement that she will conceive the Christ, she sings about how God in heaven is stretching out his holy arm into human history. And when the Spirit fills Zechariah, remember we saw last week, uh, the Zechariah says that now that John is born, the sunrise, the spiritual heavenly sunrise is visiting God's people from on high. These comments, they indicate to us, watch this space. God is doing something new here on earth. Another reason that I say that heaven is moving toward earth in an unprecedented way in Luke 1 and 2 is that our our passage actually records the third angelic appearance in just two chapters, within about two years. So the first story of Luke's gospel is the story of Gabriel, the angel, appearing to Zechariah in the temple. A messenger of heaven comes to a citizen of earth. The second story in Luke is about Gabriel, the messenger from heaven, appearing to another citizen of earth, Mary. If you read Matthew's gospel, uh, he tells us about multiple angelic visions, or or visits rather, to Joseph, the father of Jesus in this time frame. So even for the Bible, that's a lot of angels. Uh, That's a lot of traffic between heaven and earth. 
Heaven is moving toward earth in an unprecedented way. The God of heaven is asserting his power and presence on earth like never before. Okay, cool. What does that have to do with the fear of these shepherds? Well, let me tell you, each time that Luke records the visit of an angel from heaven to a citizen of earth, Luke emphatically records that the reaction to the angel is great fear. The angel visits Zechariah in the temple and he becomes deeply afraid. The angel visits Mary and she becomes deeply afraid. An angel appears to these shepherds, and they are filled with great fear. Luke's point seems to be more than, oh, by the way, angels are really scary. Luke seems to be showing us that as the curtain between God's space in heaven and our space on earth is being pulled back, we're intuitively afraid. Notice again what Luke says about these shepherds' fear in verse 9. Look again at verse 9. He says, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the angel shone around them. No, what shone around these shepherds? The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. So why are these shepherds afraid? Well, isn't it ultimately because the glory of the God of heaven is terrifying to sinful and fragile earth dwellers? These shepherds see the glory of the Lord reflected in one of his heavenly messengers, and they glimpse a power that's outside their control. They sense a goodness and a purity that is not safe for sinners. These shepherds are afraid because in this angel, they see a reflected glimpse of the glory of a dangerously holy God. That's our first question answered, and it invites our second question this morning. And that is, why are we afraid? I doubt very much uh, that any of us have visibly encountered any angels this holiday season. That seems even less likely than a struggle with avancrophobia. But isn't it the case that we live in a world where scary forces outside our control threaten to leap out at any moment? We are afraid because like the shepherds, we live in a world of the unexpected and the inexplicable, right? We might not have been terrified by the sudden appearance of an angel, but maybe we've been terrified by the sudden appearance of an expense or of an illness or of physical danger or of relational breakdown or of unemployment, Others around the world are more likely to experience the sudden appearance of a terrorist attack or a life-threatening famine or an invading army. Scary things still leap out at us in the night. A biblical counselor and author, Ed Welch, lists some of the most common fears in our society. 
in his book, Running Scared. Welch lists fears for your safety and the safety of those you love. Fears about how you will die. Fears about what happens after death. Fears about living a meaningless life. Fears about being unloved or alone. Fears about being in love and the high probability of being hurt. Fears about what you might lose, your figure, your boyfriend, girlfriend, hair, youth, mind, money, job, spouse, health, hobbies, purpose, faith. Welch adds this, he says, anytime you love or want something deeply, you will notice fears and anxieties because you might not get them. Anytime you can't control the fate of those things you want or love, you will notice fears and anxieties because you might lose them. As I've been thinking about fear this week, I think maybe the power and the prevalence of fear explains why we love Christmas morning so much. Because on Christmas morning, even if just for a moment... The presence and the food and the family and the warmth, it helps us feel like we're safe. It's this tiny space in the year where our fears feel like they can't get to us. But the rest of the year, we're afraid because we live in a dangerous and scary world. So that's one answer to why we are afraid but as is the case for our friends, the shepherds, there's, there's a deeper answer too. Like these shepherds, our fear says something about our relationship with the God of heaven. Our fear reveals that we don't quite trust him. We fear because we think that God might not be for us. When we suffer, we fear that our hard circumstances mean that God is against us. Do you know what the first appearance of fear is in the story of the Bible? Whenever you want to learn what the Bible teaches about something, it can be helpful to look for the first appearance of that thing in the Bible. The first appearance of fear in the story of God's world is after Adam and Eve disobey God in the garden. And Moses writes in Genesis 3 that they hear the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, and they hide themselves. And God says, Adam, where, where are you? And Adam says to God, I heard the sound of you walking in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Friends, that is the fundamental dynamic of fear. We have sinned against God and we fear because we're not sure that we can trust him. Because somewhere deep down, we know that we're naked in our sin before him. In his novel, Paralandra, C.S. Lewis, who's a Christian, uh, imagines that one of his characters encounters uh, a supernatural and holy being, very much like an angel. And this is what Lewis's character says about that encounter 
He says, I felt sure that the creature was what we call good. But I wasn't sure whether I liked goodness so much as I had supposed. This is a very terrible experience. As long as what you're afraid of is something evil, you may still hope that the good may come to your rescue. But suppose you struggle through to the good and find that it also is dreadful. How if food itself turns out to be the very thing you can't eat and home the very place you can't live and your very comforter, the person who makes you uncomfortable. Then indeed, there is no rescue possible. The last card has been played. For a second or two, I was nearly in that condition. Here at last was a bit of that world from beyond, which I'd always supposed that I loved and desired, breaking through and appearing to my senses, and I didn't like it. I wanted it to go away. Friends, why are we afraid? On one level, it's simply because we live in a scary world full of dangers, toils, and snares. Ultimately, it's because there's been a terrible rupture in the relationship between heaven and earth. We men and women on earth don't quite trust the God in heaven that we know we've rebelled against. And so we're very afraid. Brothers and sisters, this is why Christmas is such unimaginably good news for fearful people like us. Let's pick up where we left off with our friends, the shepherds. These men have just been astonished. They're petrified. They're standing overwhelmed and breathless with fear as the terrifying glory of the God of heaven shines around them, flooding their eyes. Look there at the first words of verse 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not. How can that be true? How can that be a reasonable thing to say in this moment, right? How can the representative of the God of heaven meet face to face with rebels on earth and tell them, hey, hey, don't be afraid. There's nothing to fear. It's amazing. But if we followed Luke's narrative up to this point, it's what we've come to expect. In chapter one, the angel appears to Zechariah. Zechariah is afraid. And the first thing out of the angel's mouth is, don't be afraid. The angel appears to Mary and the text says that she's deeply troubled. And so the angel says to her, don't be afraid. Why am I zooming in on this phrase? Because Luke zooms in on this phrase by repeating it for us three times. By the time we get to Luke 2, if we've read the story, we're ready to jump in and tell the shepherds, shepherds, don't, don't worry, it's okay, don't be afraid. Heaven is moving toward earth, but not in wrath. Look again at the whole of verses 10 and 11. And the angel said to them, fear not, why not? For behold, I bring you good news of great joy 
that will be for all the people. Why? What's the good news? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Friends, listen, this is the message of the passage as far as I can tell. If you get nothing else, hear this. Fear not because Jesus is born. Fear not because Jesus is born. How does that work? Why does that make any sense? Well, here's why. Jesus makes peace between the God of heaven and sinners on earth. Let me explain. Look in verse 13. We're told that suddenly there appears with this one angel a multitude of the heavenly host. What is a host? The host is what you don't want to be at the family gathering. No, in the Bible, what is a host? A host is, most of the time in the Bible, an army. Suddenly, there's not just one angel, there's an army of angels. If you weren't scared before, you're scared now. But look at what this army is singing about because of Jesus. What do they sing? Verse 14, glory to God in the highest, or the God who is in the highest places in heaven, and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. The meaning couldn't be clearer. The birth of Jesus is celebrated by an army from heaven singing about what? Peace with the rebels on earth. The birth of Jesus means that God of heaven is offering peace and forgiveness and reconciliation to rebels on earth who have sinned against him. Friend, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian... The message of the Bible, the message of Christmas, is that the thing that we have most to be afraid of is that we have made ourselves enemies of the God of heaven, who owns heaven and earth and everything in them because he made them. We have not loved this God as we should. We have broken his right and good rules. We have hurt the people that he loves. And God would be right to cancel us. He would be right to judge us and exclude us from his life and goodness forever. But in his astonishing love, God gave his son Jesus to be, as he's called in verse 11, a what? A savior. Jesus was born to save us from the terrible consequences of our sin and rebellion. Jesus' life started in a manger, but it ended on a cross as Jesus died in the place of sinners like you and me. Friend, that might sound really strange, but the teaching of the Bible is that what it took for there to be peace between God in heaven and sinners on earth is the death of the Son of God in our place. The good news of the Bible is that's what God has given us. Read the rest of the Gospel of Luke and you find that Jesus lived the perfect life we should have lived. And he died as a substitute in the place of death-deserving sinners. He rose from the grave three days later in victory over sin and death. And now everyone who turns from sin... To trust in Jesus receives the gift of peace. Peace with the God 
of heaven. Friend, listen, if if you're not sure whether you have that peace with God through faith in Jesus, please don't leave this morning without speaking to one of us, to any of the members of the church, about how you might enjoy that peace. There's nothing more important, there's no gift more wonderful you might receive this Christmas than peace with God through Jesus. Brothers and sisters, for those of us who have this peace, can you see how this changes everything about your fears? The fear underneath all your fears. The fear that the God who's in control of everything is against you is now gone. You no longer need to hide from God behind the trees of the garden. You can come openly and boldly to your Father even when you've sinned. A Christian, when you fear what's around the corner, when you're filled with anxiety about the future, remember that your kind and sovereign heavenly Father who gave Jesus for you knows what's around the corner. He himself is already there waiting for you to walk with you through whatever he has for you. Listen, when you're afraid, what you need is comfort. When you're afraid, you need to be comforted. You've all heard me quote this before, if you've been here long. And if God allows me to continue in ministry, you'll hear me quote this again. Some of our spiritual forefathers spoke about the great comfort, the great antidote to fear that we have in the gospel in this way. The first question of the Heidelberg Catechism is this, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Here's the answer, that I am not my own, but belong body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me. Time out. Friends, what does Christmas have to do with our fears? This is, this is the answer. Because Jesus has brought peace between us and God, now God is our Father who in everything watches over us. In such a way, the catechism continues, that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Saints, this Christmas morning, tomorrow, if you enjoy, by God's kindness, a moment of warmth and light and safety from all your fears, see that moment as a preview of your destiny because God has made peace with those who trust in His Son. See in the peace and the joy of Christmas morning a dim reflection of the peace that Jesus has won for you. And in that knowledge, lay aside your fears. Or as we'll sing in a moment, 
Let nothing you dismay. Let's pray. Father, we ascribe glory to you as the one who through his son Jesus has made peace with those who sinned against him. Lord, we thank you that because of Christ and his work and your grace to us in him, we need no longer fear. Lord, we confess we do fear. And we pray, please, that your Holy Spirit would so assure us of your grace and favor to us in Jesus and of the peace that we have with you through him, uh, that we trust you even in this dark and scary world. Lord, we pray that the Lord Jesus would return soon, uh, that heaven and earth might again be one, and that we might enjoy the peace of your presence forever. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.